Uh, and not just black men. We're talking about women who have died at police hands, and 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 we're talking now transgenders that, that that are being killed. And it's not the first now, and it's been happening for, for for decades before. And unless we, as a community, unless we, as writers and poets, keep on putting these names forward to say this is not right, and there is a humanity behind the individual, and when we stir hate. And we get caught up in this volume of hate and destroy others. We're destroying humanity. We're not just getting rid of somebody we don't like. We're destroying our individual self in the process. Uh, and so as, as writers, we have to bear witness. And, and it's always been the core element of, of my writing. It's about bearing witness to, to the humanity of others. And that hopefully it will make a difference. Uh, welcome to another episode of Poetry to Your Ears. Uh, today we're talking with Roy McFarlane. Hello. Hi there. Hi. <laughs> Roy is a uh, poet, playwright, and former youth and community worker, born in Birmingham of Jamaican parentage, spending most of his years living in Wolverhampton and the Black Country, now residing in Brighton. Roy is Canal Laureate for Brighton. For Britain. For Britain. <laughs> and Birmingham. <laughs> and Midlands Institute Poet in Residence, as well as being the former Birmingham Poet Laureate. From Amsterdam to Philadelphia, Roy has shared his passion for social justice, equality, identity, love, and the healing power of poetry. His debut collection, Beginning With Your Last Breath, was followed by The Healing Next Time, both published by Nine Arches Press which was shortlisted for the 2018 Ted Hughes Award and longlisted for the Jalak Prize. Yes, correct, yeah. Uh, welcome to the podcast, Roy. Thank you. Thank you for having me. We've we've actually wanted you on the podcast for like... For a long time. Yeah, for like maybe over a year yeah. at this point. Yeah. I think we keep passing each other at, at festivals. I think look, yeah. the first time I saw you was at the Verve. Yeah. yeah. We I saw mean, you at uh, Words by the Water before, but okay. we hadn't talked because you were on stage and we were in the background. <laughs> <laughs> and then, yeah, we saw you at the Verve Poetry Festival and then in Brighton. In Birmingham, yeah. In Birmingham, yeah. yeah. And then uh, Brighton Book Festival. Yeah. So we're going to yeah. talk about that later. Yeah, as we do, uh, we kind of like accost you and say, oh, hi, Roy. You know, yeah. Because, you, you know, we know you're on stage um, and you're like, oh, well, you know. It's the, the <laughs> micro-celebrity, isn't it? <laughs> but it's, I, I, think it's, I, I think it's good that it's actually taken this long to get to this uh, conversation because it's, it's given time to read your book mm. and engage with your text and hear you a couple more times in um, live mm. Mm. and given me a much greater appreciation of your work um, because, you know, my first uh, impression of you as a poet was um, Seagulls, right? <laughs> uh, and that's a, that's a humorous piece, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. And, I mean, I don't, I don't know if you know that off by heart. I don't, unfortunately. <laughs> but, it's, but it's essentially a poem about how annoying seagulls are in Brighton. <laughs> have, you having uh, recently at the time moved to Brighton, Absolutely, right? Absolutely, yeah. Can you tell yeah. us a little bit about... Oh, the seagull pose. So, um, yeah, I just... <laughs> the first thing I noticed, I think I had arrived into Brighton. We looked at the place. It was beautiful. Uh, we went down to the beach and then we went back and went to sleep. And then like five o'clock in the morning squawking of seagulls it was just unbelievable and then um you know whilst it's, there are literally seagulls everywhere yeah and, and i just remember the one time my partner and i we were walking and my son we were all walking along the pier and she had a donut and a seagull swooped down and grabbed the donut out of um my, my partner's um hand and mouth kind of thing and it was just like Wow, these seagulls are damn. They're ruthless. And so, and so, it's their town. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and so the, 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 the poem kind of looks at the, a seagull tap dancing on a Quaker's um, front yard, um, seagulls um, shaking um, Kentucky boxes and pizzas, and literally everything I think I've written in there is something that I've seen. 
mm. literally, you know, the seagulls. And the other thing I often say is that I've seen seagulls before, especially when you, you know, you go around the canals of Birmingham and, and Tipton, but the seagulls are nothing. They're little, <laughs> little, little. The seagulls of, of Brighton are gangsters. I call yeah, them the, huge t- the yeah. Tony Sopranos of, of the, of the, of the, of the, of the, um, the seagulls. The seagull world. Yeah. Yeah. Seagull on the world. Yeah. And so, you know, I mean, this was, so this was my first impression of you as a poet, right? Um, like, oh, it's a humorist poet. And so uh, w- w- when it comes to like this, this collection here, mm. um, Living by Troubled Waters, mm. and when, you know, when we've seen you um, perform in the Brighton Book Festival, which we're going to talk about later, um, the, the content and tone of these poems are, there's not much humour to be found. Mm. Would, you, would you say that's fair? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean this, <laughs> funny enough, I always, have to, I always have one or two humorous poems because you're you're aware of the um, the audience that you that you're in and you can't hit them with the solid stuff straight away kind of thing so you, you of course you've got to you've got to create a relationship with the audience and especially um if i'm in audiences away from birmingham birmingham know me inside out so you know i could go to the verve i could go to wolverhampton i could go to any site around black countries and and they know my work and so they're ready and aware of what Roy is going to bring to the table, mm-hmm. but I'm 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 sensitive that if I'm new to Brighton or or I find myself up north or somewhere like that, that this is a different audience, and so you have to start with a conversation and something that you know make people feel comfortable, and then you introduce them to the real Roy McFarlane. Yeah, and it's a, it just speaks to your range for how you can go, you know, make a whole collection. That does have the courage to, you know, just be serious. Essentially, um, do, do you envision putting, you know, collections together that are humorous, or <laughs> would it always be a mix? Would you say? I don't. I don't think I do humor. So it's quite intriguing yeah. when, when people say the seagull poems and, and things like that. So you wrote it in pure anger and you kind of <laughs> interpreted it live in a humorous way. <laughs> no, no. I don't imagine myself to be humorous, but it's quite interesting that, yeah, I mean, if you look through my collections, I know people say, you know, like Saturday Soup from my first collection, um, Beginning With Your Last Breath, has a bit of humour in there and stuff like that. Or it's quite interesting when I talk about Patterson's House from my first collection. And you you just mentioned something about coming from Smedic and everybody laughs. I don't know why people laugh at the idea of this Mm. guy coming from Smedic. So, um, yeah, yeah. I try to mix it up. I think, as you say, I'm known for the serious stuff with love because I will always finish um, a set with love. So whether it's something that reflects about my love for my father, my mother, or or sensual love, there are many times I've talked about love in a very sensual, desirous way kind of thing. I, it, it's always my intention to finish the set that everybody leaves on a high um, as, as we walk away. And, of course, you were uh, Poet Laureate uh, for uh, Birmingham. Mm-hmm. Um, so how did that come about? Did you feel such a great, uh, you know... Um, responsibility. Responsibility, exactly. <laughs> yeah, I went blank there. Like, like Spider-Man. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Um, yes, absolutely. Um, it, one, it's an honour kind of thing. So you, you're on a journey as a poet and um, you're doing a lot of performance poets and you're doing all these little gigs that may have about 10 people that turn up kind of thing and you, you, you're doing your trade, as it were. And then to get an opportunity where you apply, you send a couple of your poems, you go for an interview... You get shortlisted to about five people. You come back and you do a bit more interviews. And then suddenly somebody says, we like you. We want you to be the Birmingham Poet Laureate. It's like, wow, you, you, your life changes. And and Birmingham really put a lot of energy, celebration. I was on BBC News, the local Birmingham BBC News. On the day it's done, it's usually on National Poetry Day. So you literally get taken around Birmingham, whether it's to different events or, you know, you're being interviewed by the papers, being interviewed by 
BBC, you're being taken to an event here and there. And then on the night, you get an award, you get a trophy, and then you perform. And, and it's just, they make a whole song and dance of it. We just want to take a moment to talk to you about Fawn Press. An indie press that publishes poetry, that takes you by the hand and leads you into the woods. You can get 10% off all books on their website www.formpress.co.uk with the code POETRY10 as small letters POETRY10 Toussaint In the island of Saint Domingo Toussaint's Republic where Negroes are found children rise Bonaparte will go to the English without delay before peace before independence. Toussaint's new Negroes, runaway Negroes. Be free, be free on Saint Domingo. Yeah. So what what made you want to start the, uh, start with that? Um, ah, well, again, core element of the collection Living by Troubled Waters was the idea that issues around um, racism and inequalities um, have been going on for hundreds and hundreds of years. And I was just thinking of the IET revolution back in 1807 and just the power of this one man, well, not, not just Toussaint, there are many, many revolutionary guys. But Toussaint was, was amazing. And I was just looking at how I had adapted um, a newspaper clipping from the 1800s and, and, and all the fear of if, if things kick off in St. Domingo, what's going to happen to the rest of Europe, Europe mm. and all the other islands that have been colonised? And I just wanted to play with the text and, and the writing. And then I found these hidden words in the, in the writing. And it was this beautiful echo about freedom, about running away, and the, the idea of new Negroes, new life, um, new independence. Um, and I just can feel Bonaparte in the background going, so all of that was in in there and I just wanted to yeah I just think that's a a, a part of the essence and the spirit of the collection mm. yeah so so the background for people listening if they don't know who Toussaint is is he was a um, slave uprising leader yeah um, there's a, there's great books about him as well like um, Black Jacobins yeah this kind of thing um, very educated I was trying to think who wrote Black Jacobins C.L.R. James. J- yeah. C.L.R. <laughs> yeah. James. Yeah, that's the one. Um, Get that book, please. Really good. And the poem, I think it's worth mentioning, it's an erasure poem. So it means you took a text from a newspaper and you blacked out most of the text and oh. just left some of the words. Um, do you want to walk us through this yeah. process and uh, what it means to you? Yeah, um, I'm just trying to think of the individual who I got the inspiration from to do, um, and he's just passed away, if I remember correctly. So it's called erasure poems, or an, an erasure technique kind of thing. And the idea, and forgive me, I can't remember who the guy was, the idea is that you get, it could be a document, it could be a paper clip, uh, paper, uh, a newspaper report or, or something like that. And um, you just find within that limited text of 50 words or 200 words you find a poem in there or you find something that 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 comes out lifts itself out of that jumble of text and in doing that you erase all the rest there are techniques of erase uh, sorry um, scribbling it out or um, or in one technique that I do I paint over it um, some people will lift the words that they find out of the text and put it on another page kind of thing. So there are different techniques to, to the erasure um, um, poem. Um, but yeah, it's, um, it's a great 
have a go at it. It's really a great, great um, task or joy to just sit there. And, and I think that's probably the important part because you, you get absorbed into that writing. And it may be a writing from another period, but while you absorb yourself in that text is saying one particular thing from one particular perspective. So it's written by a white man to, to, to declare the dangers of what, what is happening in Haiti and, and the islands kind of thing. But for me, as a black person, looking in there, I can see beauty. I can see revolution. Mm. I can see this amazing other thing coming out of there. And it's what you see in there that you bring out of the poem, mm. out of the text. It's to say that the text is not one objective thing. There's many ways of looking at it. That's right. Yeah. 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 And you've done a beautiful job in uh, colorizing it as well. Yeah, <laughs> is, this, is this your colouring? That's 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 my colouring. Yeah, yeah. colouring. Um, <laughs> Fancy words. Um, that was water. My first attempt at water painting. Um, so that that's me. Um, and I just wanted to try something different. It's me be, being different. So that one kind of again is a sort of a, one particular eraser poem might be looking at um, running away and by 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 the rivers kind of thing and so i would paint that in blue and green fields kind of thing i think when i do the tucsant text i think that has uh, an image of tucsant an old image of tucsant um put upon the text as well as the color of the iet's flag if i remember correctly so there are different things that i did to add to the to to the poem that was was there and I hope people might get the gist of of that. There's another poem, I think, there's, where it's red and yellow, and that's about fire. I can't remember what the context was, but mm. I was trying to show something burning and, and mm. fire. It adds like a one. subconscious communication with the colours. That's right. That's yeah. right. That's right. That's right. That's right. <laughs> it's an, and it's kind of reclaiming, like you, you mentioned, you kind of... Um, you know, editing old slave texts or slavers' texts or yeah. letters and things they put out, yeah. proclamations and things like this. Yeah. And it's kind of reclaiming that as well, isn't it? It's yeah. kind of, re you know, taking power back from this text that is so evidently... Painful and... Yeah, I mean, like... Terrorizing trauma, and yeah. tra traumatic, yes, absolutely. Um, I think the one you're talking about... Um, the to be free yes um and it's quite interesting that when we look at the trauma of of the writing that i try to bring out the humanity out of the writing um for example with to be free i found these paper clippings that you would find in what what i would call today the daily mirror or, or, or the times and there on the front page or on the, on, the, on, the, on the inside cover, you would have something like reward of £20 to any person who can prove her being harboured by any white or free person. Or something like absconded from the subscriber on the 8th of July, 1814, two Bar Barbadian men, brothers by name Pompey and Antony. Um, a black man, the latter a tawny skin, and the, and the former pretty, uh, uh, or something like that. Right, and all of these things uh, are there, and and finally say we'll we'll give you twenty dollars or twenty pounds if we catch if you catch them, and it's just so inhumane. And this was something that would be there on the morning around the table where two or three totally generations totally normalized, no, normalized, yeah. normalized. Mm. And I just wanted to get that text and oh, bring back the humanity, the soul of the individuals and, celebra and, and almost celebrate, yes, Pompey and mm. Anthony, you got away and I'm praying, <laughs> I'm praying you're still you running. Away. Yeah. I, I think a meaning I really like as well about the Erasure poem is it, about acknowledging history and ancestors. And I was reading um, Still Like an Artist just before that interview and it was saying, you know, everything has been done already. It's just about uh, putting it to new people because people aren't listening. And this is about what is there more to say 
than everything that happened in the past. Yeah, I mean, it's just so... And I think that's the, the power of the artist. Um, uh, I think, one, we should always remember um, that we're part of this cycle of stories. We're part of a tradition of stories, whether we are painters, musicians, or, or, or storytellers and poets. Um, it's this incredible gift that we are given to tell the humanities and the stories, to bear witness to things that have gone on, to hopefully, hopefully kind of trouble the minds of those in power or the collective that is around us, that, you know, we can be different. We can be good to others. We can learn from the mistakes of the past and be better. Unfortunately, something about humanity, that when we make a step forward to be better, we often make two steps back uh, and go back to our old ways kind of thing. Uh, and, and, and as poets, as artists, we can't give up. No matter how many times we've seen these stories, no matter how many times we've seen um, George Floyd, Stephen Lawrence, um, Emmett Till, it's like every 20 years we have these pers persons uh, and not just black men. We're talking about women who have died at police hands. And, and, and we're talking now transgenders that, that are being killed. And it's not the first now, and it's been happening for, for, for decades before. And unless we as a community, unless we as writers and poets keep on putting these names forward to say this is not right, and there is a humanity behind the individual, and when we stir hate and we get caught up in this volume of hate and destroy others, we're destroying humanity. We're not just getting rid of somebody we don't like. We're destroying our individual self in the process. Uh, and so as, as writers, we have to bear witness. And, and it's always been the core element of, of my writing. It's about bearing witness to, to the humanity of others and that hopefully it will make a difference. It, um, the other poem there that was really amazing, that really thought was phenomenal, was the uh, "Am I my brother's keeper? Am I my brother's cager?" Which oh, is brilliant. And that is innovative use of placement of words <laughs> as well. And what was um, where did you find that article? Did you find that in the uh, British y Library? Yeah, yeah. It's the same again. It's it, it, um, it's um, Cain Rose against Abel. Yes, it's called. Mm. Um, yeah. So can I just show the just so they get <laughs> the idea form? No, no yeah. problem. And and I really appreciate that. Um, um, I mean, the, the, this there's something about the layout of this <laughs> and the way you engage with that text that to me really kind of plugged me in, connected me in to a, re a really deep empathy mm -hmm. for the, uh, f like you say, the humanity that is like lacking in that text, yeah. the humanity that's lacking in just the kind of the presumption of, uh, we're just going to put that out there like it's normal, we're going to put it out there like it's business uh, as usual. You yeah, know? yeah, yeah, business as usual. Um, and that's the scary part about it. Um and again, even I was shocked. No, I'm, I'm, I'm a guy that's been around doing anti-racism work before I became a poet. Um, so from the 90s, I've been in the struggle. I've been on the road. I've been doing so many things. Um, I would say uh, 2010, well, 2003 is when I really kind of started off being a poet uh, with like a group called the New October Poets. And we, we did performances. I would say about 2010, 12, I became Birmingham Poet Laureate. And that was really a, a, an incredible springboard. And 2016 was my first collection. But, um, but <laughs> coming to sit down and research this and to see, again, an advertisement in a, uh, I think it was the Barbadian Times or something like that, where it says, Negroes confined in the cage. 
And you'd have the, the date, Bridgetown, Jan, January the 13th, 1818. And you would go through paper after paper. Same again, Negroes confined in the cage, Bridgetown, February the 21st, 1818, and so on and so on. And, and I guess what I started to see when I started to look through, I started to see there were names, certain names were still there. And I'm thinking, are these individuals still in the cage? Sorry, I'm, I'm to tell you the story. The, so the ideas of the Negroes confined in the cage is that if, if a slave ran away, they would put them into a confined area. And I imagine it's a cage. I'm, I'm, I'm sure it's out there in the public. And it was almost saying, owners of this slave Will you come and pick up your slave who ran away? Yeah. Uh, and like a, a kennel kind of thing, like for missing dogs or something like that. Absolutely, yeah. absolutely. And I was, oh, you do not know the tears to believe that this is how a human being was, 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 was being handled. And then as I looked through it, I would, I would see, like I say, January the 13th, 1818, Ned Robbins, owner, Mr. Gibbs, and then, um, you know, in February, Ned Robbins still there, and mm. but Mr. John Gibbons is deceased, kind of thing. And it just made me think of these people that are still in there, and people are asking about the the, the owners to come along. And I think there was one particular guy. He was there from January to sort of like May 18, and it just made me think about the. The, the, the whole Cain and Abel, Abel story about, in reality, we are all brothers and sisters. And yet, we can sink so low to look at our brothers and because of the color of the skin, because of their religion, because of their sexuality, because of their bodily ability, we, we look down on them or we'll go to the extent of demonizing them and, and, and destroying someone who is our brother. Who is our sister, and and so it just made me think of the Cain and Abel story, and so you will have, like you said, there are three um, pages, and if you look, which I'm, I'm just so blessed that you looked at it so, because not many people have talked about this, but you've looked at it so profoundly, and and seen what was going on, and so what I do is I cut the the clipping out of the the newspaper, not. It, we yeah, had to, this is interesting how you put it together technically. Yeah. We, we had to yeah. reprint it, etc. I couldn't cut the, yeah. the paper, right? <laughs> um, so I got the paper when I saw names that I thought were being repeated and I wanted to tell their stories. I cut the paper um, that, that add up and in between the ad, I started to put a little story. story. So like the first one, Cain Rose Against Abel, in between the, the names that are being shown, to border on our humanity, these caviar hollow places of morality and then i go on to say am i my brother's keeper or am i the cage keeper and it's important that I, I i ended that because what you will always see at the end of the ad is the guy who's holding the slaves and in this particular case you had somebody called jay sydney the cage keeper and he signed mm. it he mm. was the cage keeper and and i just it just got me thinking, and 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 so, I I bring Dante's Seventh Circle in there, and 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 continue to talk about Abel's blood. I think the last thing I did, and to the sprinkle the blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel, the blood of the enslaved. Um, yeah, it's again. I appreciate you. We're having a conversation that, about that because I think that series that that those three poems um was written over a month because i must have gone through about a hundred of those advertisements we're used to thinking of slavery as being historical um but reading that for me puts me right in the middle of it it puts me right back there it it's immersive that format and louise was saying um Yesterday, she said, oh, this would be a great book to teach in schools, like <laughs> poetry in schools. Yeah. And, yeah. you know, maybe there's a few, uh, there's a few kind of uh, words in there you might want to edit, but, <laughs> <laughs> but I, I hear that. <laughs> um, for the most part, though, it, 
I, you know, I, I'm in complete agreement with you. Like, I, I think that's a wonderful way to engage with that period of history. And you've got testimonies on the front of the book that say, you know, it doesn't basically, I'm, I'm paraphrasing here, but it says it doesn't pull any punches. It doesn't cater to white fragility and this kind of thing. And, you know, and was you <laughs> enlightened me a little bit about this concept of white fragility, right? Yeah, I was saying Early how on. you're not trying to accommodate the truth to not make people uncomfortable right. how you just in the middle of everything and you you show the pain and the trauma and also you know like as a white person the the guilt that my ancestors have like the they're guilty you know and that's an uncomfortable truth but you need to sit there and that's that's our history you know that's uh, how we got here and I feel like it's through doing it for poetry and these paper clips and that, it's just such a different way of showing history, showing that social history and, and in these individuals, in the personal. And it just touches you in a way that maybe history lessons don't, mm -hmm. if that makes sense. Mm. Um yeah, so it can be, you know, taught in like the technique of poetry, but also just learning about our society. Yeah. Um, listen, uh, when I look at the Holocaust, the Jewish Holocaust, and the and 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 the most horrible thing that has happened in the last century. Um, and we and we are aware of that, and we try our best to, whether it's the museums, whether it's the Holocaust Day, whether when you look at what Germany did, and you have deniers. You, this is the thing when you have a backlash of individuals, who don't want to lose their status, their status quo. If that's the right scenario of being at the top, and it's being challenged your position. So let us demystify, let's lie, let's say that it didn't exist. But for the main thing, when you look back at UNESCO, in, if I'm not mistaken, 1951 and, and the creation of the human rights kind of thing, this came out of this place where we, we, were, we, we were scarred that we've gone to two world wars and especially the second world war where six and a half million or however million Jews were slaughtered, murdered, and so rightly so, that Germany did a, a program over the next 30, 40 years that it should be taught that we, so we don't make this mistake again. Rightly so, that the UNESCO would go around creating the human rights. Now that our government today is tearing apart when it comes to migration and shit like that, right? Rightly so, that we should have a, um, a Holocaust day. So, 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 so tell me, if that is profound to that terror, that horror, why are we not doing the same? to a, a black holocaust that continues to affect so many people over so many generations, across so many lands, across Europe, across America, across what you call the global north, and the global south is still being affected by the ramifications of a black holocaust. And yet, we're not talking about it. For me, I'm not too profoundly bothered about reparations. I just want you to have a conversation and say sorry, and that's it. Okay, let's move forward and what we may be able to do. But the fear of the economic um, backlash and, 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 and so many other things is, is stifling the conversation that we should be having. And we, are, we will never... I believe categorically we will never move forward enough or far enough until we have that conversation and we say, as you said, it is an uncomfortable truth. But if the next generation says, we fucked up, right? If the next generation say, we will not do this again, then we will move forward. But if we're constantly pushing it under the under the, the table, under the carpet, and we're saying, oh, it happened 200 years ago, da-da-da, da-da-da, mm. 
will come back to George Floyd. George yeah. Floyd will happen again. And I you guarantee show, you. You showed the ramifications in the present. A, a poem that really struck me is about uh, medical racism. Yes. Uh, it's called, I think, Black Women Don't Feel Pain or something oh, yeah. like that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, when I read that, I li- like, I, honestly, I didn't believe it. <laughs> like, I didn't believe it was like a real thing that you found, you know? <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. That, that first well, reaction to it. Well, you know, a part of it is a conversation about my mom as well. Cause my, oh, right, yeah. My, yeah. My, my mother had a major operation on, on her throat in the, in the 60s. And to this, I mean, my mom's passed away in 2014. But um, there's a major slicing down the center of throat that left the throat looking like um, a sliced. Uh, I can't remember what I said it looked like. At the time, I had a vision of what it looked like. Um, um, and she would always cover it, in, even in the summertime, she would always have these. Um, turtleneck or if that's the right expression mm-hmm. jumpers that would cover the scar it really profoundly had a knock on this beautiful woman always in summertime covering the scar on her throat and if you the stories that she tells me about i mean to this day i'm not 100 sure what the operation was for but she believes um that it was almost like a you know Rather than a simple operation, they literally butchered her throat, and the pain that she was left in is unbelievable. But oftentimes, nurses would walk by and and almost ignore her, as if oh, you're exaggerating. Or I think there was one time she said, "Somebody says, well, you know, you black people can take pain,' so etc. Mm. etc." Et and so, yeah, when you read this, and again, when you look into the newspaper, um, one particular guy um, made a fortune of um, experimenting. I think it was Dr. Thomas Hilton. Um, And I've got in italics what I draw out of the text. Blister to my hands, legs and feet, which bear the scars to this day. He continued until he drew up the dark skin. John Brown, a slave lent to Dr. Thomas Hilton. To imagine and to formulate all manner of assumptions upon black bodies. I want to dig under the copious, thick, white skin of hate until you have to escape to a place free from pain. So, yeah, I I just wanted to put a series, take us from that period of time to the to, to, to this present time about the idea of women but black bodies there's this kind of myth and there are many myths about black bodies but the myth about black women not feeling pain through pregnancy and, and, and things like that yeah Shall we go into a lighter tone and talk about <laughs> the Brighton Book Festival? Well, it's funny, you say, it's funny you say that because I was going to say that we're talking about a lot of the horrors of this collection and, you know, the deep traumas and this kind of thing. But there's, there's immense so much love beauty well. and love and hope in this collection as well. You know, it, the, mm. the title poem here, uh, Living by Troubled Waters, you know, it's a collection of, is it four? Yeah, there's four. Yeah. Um, that run throughout the collection. Yeah. And these paint just wonderful, beautiful images here, um, and e- you know each one's a little bit different. Each one's a little bit different. Is it, is it a narrative that goes from the start to the end through these collections, or are they more kind of disparate? I would say they're disparate. What would the theme? Um, yeah. Um, both. Uh, uh, yeah, both, both, most definitely both. Um, I, I, I think the idea was the idea of the waters, uh, and yeah. whilst the waters is troubled, there's a place of sanctuary. So um, again, if I was to go through through them, um, the one like, um, I like the third one about the water coming into kind of invading the house's spirits. Mum, mum. Okay, good. Um, living, it's, it's number two. Um, living by troubled waters. And again, with the feminine spirit and the feminine feminine mind, I was looking at also um, 
trying to think, where's the first one? I'm sure the first one's about my... I can't. Living by Troubled My Mother. Yeah, okay, so yeah. Um, the first one, Living by Troubled Waters, number one, is about my mother, who... And my, again, I, just for the, the listeners, um, I'm adopted from the age of six months. And if you go to my first collection, beginning with your last breath, it's a beautiful collection. And you just can't read the third collection without reading the first collection. Well, you really can't read all the collections. Anyway, <laughs> beginning with your last breath, breath touches upon uh, my life mother passing away with cancer. And also it touches on my birth mother and the first time I find out that I am adopted. And um, What age were you? I was um, 13 when I, when I found out. Uh, my mom oh, took, yeah. took me into the bedroom and, and, and says, listen... And showed me the documents. Um, it's a difficult age to process. Yeah, that. I, I, I flipped. Well, I didn't flip at my mom. I, I just didn't want to know who my birth mother was. I, I was so angry. I just thinking, really, you, you're the only one I know, and this life that I live is perfect. Um, mm -hmm. I couldn't imagine another life. Well, I could not imagine another mother, because my life mother was just unbelievable. Um, yeah. And so, with that, you, in all my collections, mom comes comes in my life mother, um, and 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 sometimes my birth mother. Um, and so the first one, I wanted to start the journey again, living by troubled waters. So the first one is about my mom who grew up by a river in Jamaica. And the idea, she'd always tell me the stories of going down to get water. Um, and then I just imagine how oh, my father must have got attracted to her by waters. And I wanted to tell this beautiful romantic story of, of, of the... And bringing the myth, there's a, there's a myth about waters where River Mumma is a, is a Jamaican myth about this beautiful um, um, goddess who sits on a stone and watches over you and she has this long flowing hair that she combs um, so river mama is a, is a mythical thing there and I bring all of that in the first one so first one you're in Jamaica and you watch the journey of my mom coming to England and the second one living by troubled waters uh, and I'll read it to you um, our house was often visited by spirits Waters often found their way into our home. My mother, of sound mind, saw things other people didn't see. Her whole body, a divining rod. She who moved gracefully in the spirit when it poured, danced in the pool, raised her arms spellbound to the sky as if she could touch and hold onto the source. We lived in a semi-detached house on a hill. Water trickled in, leaving trails and watermarks only my mother noticed and tried to ignore, smiling when she saw I was watching, as she whispered to the walls as they drooled. My mother who mellowed by still waters, could not be at peace. And in this nursery, I learned of duppies and rolling calves, of climbing a flight of stairs on hands and knees, of a boxed room big enough to leave a memory in a corner, darkness embodied, moving into the light, stretching forth an arm and a child, flying down a flight of stairs, sitting on a magic sitting on a magic carpet, shouting, Badder, badder, badder upstairs. We left the house on the top of the hill, always moving until Mother found serenity in a home by still waters. That's sublime. <laughs> <laughs> it's brilliant. It's... It's like magical realism, you know? Yeah. It's kind of like Gabriel Marquez, 100 Years of Solitude. Yeah. It reminds me of that in that vein where oh. you could... 
it paints a uh, paints just a colorful image in your mind. And you, you really loved that book, didn't you? Yeah. <laughs> I loved that book too. We, we, we both loved that book. <laughs> it, re- it really opened my mind to how great magical realism can be. Yeah, as a, as a genre, you know. Yeah. yeah. Um, because before that, I'd be like, oh, you know, magic. I'm not that interested. In. <laughs> but it really goes to show that the strength of writing mm. can really do wonders in that. But mm. yeah, it, it's. And you know, I mean, I read this poem last night, and hearing you hearing you speak it and voice and yeah. add, it adds an another dimension book? to it. Where I'm sorry, do you have an audio? <laughs> I book haven't got an audio book with this one. Um, we talked about that last time when we met at the um, Brighton Book Festival. Yeah, you're encouraging Roy to record an audio book. Yeah, I feel like your voice <laughs> adds a lot. No, I appreciate that. Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah um, and again, this this I, I, I so appreciate this idea of a. Um, magical realism uh, and yet part of this is real to me my yeah. mother growing my mother was a staunch um, Pentecostal believer uh, my father was a deacon and and so that's that's what I knew for my first 30 years of my life 30 40 years of my life and um, in that my mother believed in being filled with the Holy Ghost being filled with the spirit that comes from God and she equally believed that if there is a spirit from God, there must be a devil or demonic princes, presence mm-hmm. and things like that. And so it's quite interesting that growing up, at no time did I feel in danger, but I would always see my mom talking to the walls or talking to something or somebody, almost rebuking somebody in the house kind of thing. And I know that oftentimes that could be seen as mental health on some spectrum of the mental health. And I just wanted to capture that because it's real to me. And at, and again, I've re- I repeat, I never felt any danger about my mum. And it's just intriguing. Again, is this part of the trauma that we inherit and have to find a way to survive while we are living by troubled waters. And so for my mom, it was being in the church, believing in God. And so whatever racism, whatever the struggles uh, financially, whatever she may never attain because she could read music off a sheet. And I could imagine my mom could be a composer or something in another universe or a teacher because of what she taught me kind of thing. But otherwise she just became a mom at home, looked and loved my father and me and, 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 and gave everything that she could for us. But I just wonder in another universe in another world, what my mother could have been. And this is her way of surviving in those troubled times. You think you kind of create the image of, or the point of view of um, yourself as a boy as well. You know, it's kind of like it's got a childish kind of. Oh, absolutely. The the the. the you the, know, when you're a child, you don't understand so much about the world. You take it for granted as an adult. Mm. All the things you understand about how things work. But as a child, you just kind of you do go on these kind of elemental. Uh, ways of understanding mm. yeah yeah without a doubt i mean the last part the uh, the child running down the stairs or the child walking walking up seeing something in the room and then coming down the stairs going better 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 the amount mm. of times i heard people telling me that story when i was growing up mm-hmm. um it was all you know when the church brothers would come around and they'd sit down i remember the time you was running down the stairs <laughs> <laughs> you say you see something then you're going better 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 so um, it's how you remembered. <laughs> <laughs> so it's intriguing some of these stories, you know. What I mean, truthful, mm. mythical, what we imagine, what we project. I don't know. So uh, you want to tell us about the Brighton Book Festival? Carry us, transition us into the Brighton Book Festival. All right. Yeah. So <laughs> you were the poet resident. Poet in Residence at the Brighton Book Festival, which is organised between Afrori Books and the Feminist Bookshop in Brighton. And is it the second year running, I think, of the festival? Yeah, that's correct, yes. Um, it was at the Contemporary Centre of Arts and oh. it was throughout a week. Yeah. A small yeah, week, a short week, yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, do you want to tell us more about what you did at the festival as the Poet in Residence? <laughs> um <laughs> Well, I mean, the the idea was 
to get involved. Um, they just gave me a freedom to do anything I wanted. But I guess the key thing, they, 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 they looked at four um, programs. Uh, so there's one, a celebration of Windrush, uh, which for those who might not know what Windrush is, is um, in 1948, a boat called the Windrush um, HM, I can't remember, um, Windrush landed in, in, in Tilbury Dock and had over 490 Caribbean um, and other individuals on the boat who were the first sort of like migrationary group to be asked to come over to England to help rebuild England. And so there's been this nice kind of conversation about over the next decade or two of a Windrush generation that uh, that I would say that I'm a child of Windrush. And so um, it's 75 years from 1948 and we did an amazing celebration, brought in other um, um, novelists and storytellers and we talked about the effect and what it is for Britain as well as us as, as individuals. Um, the other day, the next day was, um, I did a poetry workshop and we did a thing called the Poetry Cafe and we had amazing poets came in and then I finished the night and I know this is, this is the thing that really excited you, finished the night with a collaboration with Randolph Matthews, who is a musician and an incredible jazz musician, gospel R&B. Um, he has his loop machine and all his incredible magical musical thing that he has on on this one machine and his voice can be anything from an angel to a bass guitar to a trumpet to whatever and yeah, to, they haven't come up with the word to describe what he does I, yeah you, you can't you can't describe <laughs> he's it he's like the first <laughs> <laughs> yeah. and we got together and we did a set it was about a 30 minute set and we brought Living by Troubled Waters to life. And, yeah, I'm thinking about it. I'm, I've got goosebumps mm. because... And there's such a, a lyricality as well in your own words. Mm. So it was a beautiful it, it was a symphony. <laughs> did, did you... It sounds like you were surprised how well it went. You, did, did you expect... You, <laughs> you as an individual know there's something magical. And I think when we started to have that conversation... Um, the journey started last October. We were at a thing called the Apples and Snake celebration of 40 years. I was invited to read a few poems. Randolph was invited to just do his thing on his own uh, in between the, the poets. And then I said, Randolph, you, any chance? Because I've seen Randolph in action. Any chance you could do something with this particular poem? And I think we did um, Meet Me by the River, old gospel tune. And so... Right there and then, off the cuff, we did Meet Me by the River, and it was just amazing. And then people say, you two need to do a, you need to do something. And so we've been trying to do something, and you know, it's about finance, getting each other together. And, by, and so we managed, Brighton Book Festival made it happen. And you asked the question, am I surprised? Um, there's an expectation, but what I saw, the love, the tears... The whole room stood up and, and, and you know, again, again, tingles are going down my spine remembering that evening. And so it's, it has encouraged me that I guess I've got to put this are together. Are you going to play again together? We're, Have you got some Yeah, we're looking to put a tour together. So we're looking at funding. We're looking at ways that we can get it started. And, and we, will, we will do a tour uh, and get it out there. So if you're watching this, we'll... When there's a tour on, we advertise everything. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but it was just an amazing night. So, again, you have to understand, um, like you said, that I know I've got this voice, you know, from a, a gospel tradition, from a preaching tradition. And um, you just imagine um, Randolph with his sort of gospel and jazz riffing and and there was like a call and response and yeah we just brought church to the place we brought mm. a jazz club to the place uh, and, and yeah he and, can sing <laughs> <laughs> put it mildly folks yeah such range i mean really I, i'm kind of 
I'm kind of eager to maybe describe what he does a little bit more for the audience I'll, because it's I'll so let difficult you describe, to you describe it. Mm. Well, <laughs> let me have a go. Let me have, have a attempt at this. It's kind of something, something. It's kind of like a, a MC one man band beatboxer, but without the beatboxing. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's you know, like you say, gospel singing. Um, just complete musicality, just immersed, and he he becomes the music, right? He physically you see physical manifestation of the music in him, yeah. And his voice, the way he's using his voice, like you say, he uses um, effects and reverb and this kind of thing that he controls in the moment at the time, and what he you know he becomes the bass guitar, right? He becomes the <laughs> bass. He becomes the bass tones. That, that was he, incredible. He, like he's like music embodied. In a human being, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and I'm, I'm just trying to scratch the surface on you know you can't explain with words music. Has he got <laughs> any recording available? Yeah, yeah. I mean, please, if you if you can look up Randolph Matthews on his website, he, please just go look for him. Look at the stuff that he's doing, and he's always somewhere. I mean, uh, by coincidence, I, I was performing in Cheltenham. On the, on the Saturday night, somewhere in May, late May or something like that, and he was performing in the jazz festival on the on the on the Monday following following, and I just didn't manage to get to see him. So yeah, um, Randolph Matthews, look him up; he's incredible. And what and I think when you look at a, a perfect collaboration, it's that one person doesn't swallow up the other. Yeah. And mm, and absolutely. it's the way you complement each other. Yeah, really yeah, well. yeah. It was yeah. just it was just beautiful. Yeah. Um, and so you also we had we went to a couple of days of the Brighton Book Festival and we went to the the beautiful sunny day where we did it outside. Colorful it nature. Was, oh, colorful, colorful nature. nature. Yes. Right. Yes. And yeah. it's it, you said at the time it's like it's exactly what you hope and kind of have a you know when you dream about a poetry event. You want to walk into a garden and it be sunny and doing poetry <laughs> and out have on the a lawn. Picnic, and, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it, it was beautiful. I mean, and we, I was blessed the day before when I did the poetry workshop. So we did the poetry workshop inside, and with half an hour to go, um, I had to get the the attendants out out of the hall that we were performing because we had to do um, sound checks. So we had to get them and thought, let, let, give them a break, and I thought, let's go in the in the park. In in the park in the the garden in the garden. Oh, so you're taking credit for this? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> of course, I got it. Yeah, well, the, when it seems anyway. like they they made the right person the poet uh, in residence. And so we was out in the garden and we workshopped in the garden and I just encouraged take your shoes off, yeah. walk in the in the mm. grass, feel it while you're writing the poem that that I, I asked them to write. And then the next day, we we, um, we had color nature, col- colorful or color colorful nature, colorful nature in the, in the yeah, amazing week, amazing week of um, poetry and writing. Nice. What are you up to in the next weeks, months? Um, well, you know, I am reaching the grand age of sixty. So, um, um, in August, I am going to. The Caribbean islands kind of thing just to chill for the next two or three weeks kind of thing so I'm just closing a few things between now and then come back in September refreshed and on board with a few things so the, I am the National Canal Laureate so I'm, um, I'm just hearing news yesterday that I'll be doing it for another year so um, we're looking at getting and 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 part of my role as canal lawyer is it's just especially for me the way I looked at it I wanted to interact with individuals that live by these canals and oftentimes the, these canals because they were uh, they came about because of the industrial revolution and it was part of being able to transport coal and so iron. Is that, is that related to the black country then? Yeah, absolutely, black country. But uh, where well, it's based? Is it? Well, no, it's, it's all, it's, if you look at the, the, the core aspects, you, especially when they were building, you had 
from Manchester or Liverpool down to um, Birmingham and then from Birmingham to London. But also you will have sort of like something like, I don't know, um, Manchester to Leeds, um, which was looking at the textile industry and how you would, you know, get it to the port but how you would get raw material to 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 do it, etc., cetera, etc., cetera. and it's just an incredible story, especially in the making of the canals kind of thing. Um, and so I wanted to draw some of that history, as well as the present day, where there's been a lot of festivals, a lot of celebration about the canals, and so I've been performing on the canals, or reading at canal events, or or doing workshops. So what I'm hoping by the end of next year, I might have a collection. Uh, around some of that journey. Um, can, I, can I just ask, um, so the Canal Laureate, is, is that, is it is it more that it's kind of a romanticisation of um, uh, the canals or is it more of a kind of like looking back, you know, kind of uh, reconciling history? What, what, what tends to be the, the kind of tone of... Well, I, I, every, every laureate comes with their own journey. Uh, so when it was opened, when when the idea started, which was, I think was about eight years ago, six or eight years ago, you had somebody called Jo Bell, amazing poet, who was a boater. She has has a boat. And so it was a whole style, a way of living. And so... so it's like celebratory. And so it celebrated right. the, the idea of living on canals kind of thing. And then following her, I think we had Luke Kennard. And for him, I, I imagine he was just walking around the canals around Birmingham. And then you had somebody like Nancy Campbell, if I remember correctly, who was kayaker. Kayaking? Um, I don't know why I'm doing it like that. <laughs> um, uh, and so she came at it from with her aspect. But for me, as a as a, as a child that grew through, t- uh, you know, grew up in Tipton, Wolverhampton, these canals were in my back back backyard kind of thing. And what for me, when I know the grey urban setting, especially in Birmingham, and you got all these big buildings, to go into these beautiful veins of of nature and beauty and and stuff like that. And for me, like during lockdown. Um, the canals were the, were our outlets, especially in Tipton, where there's hardly any green area. You would walk along the canals, and the amount of people that you would see jogging and walking along the canals. And for me, uh, you'll see my collection where I talk about a heron, and um, it was walking along the canal during the period of time George Floyd that I was struggling with writing because again, this has happened. How many times have I written about it? And again, George Floyd. So for about a month, I couldn't write until I saw a heron. And that's the, that's, that's the truth. I saw a heron, this most beautiful, graceful and, um, bird. And we just looked. We had a conversation. She or he flew away. And then my collection started to come into, into being, kind of thing. To the heron who stood with me in the ruins of another black man's life. After Gwendolyn Brooks and Gil Scott heron to the heron long and lean standing still on the corners where the waters bend to the heron gracefully gray poised at the water's edge to the heron painted in the tapestry of reeds waiting waiting i want to learn the art of waiting in these dreadful times Thick engulfing, choking times. To the heron, long limb, taking one, two steps, stretching those wings, leaping like Michael Jordan. To rise in brilliance. To all herons from the lineage of Bennu, he who came into being by himself. To all the herons left school real cool. To the heron lurking late in summertime. To the heron with the slow wing beats of a double bass on a jazz June evening. To the heron motionless, still, standing still. To Gil Scott Heron, whilst I'm here standing in the ruins of another black man's life, I am death, cried the vulture, for the people of the light. Yet, here we stand 
on the muddy banks alive, longing, begging, needing change. To all those gliding towards the sunset, beautiful is your name. Thank you. Thank Robert you. McFarlane, ladies and gentlemen. <sighs> Um, your uh, a theme that runs in your poetry is kind of masculinity, the sensitivity, sensitivity in masculinity. Mm. Would you say, you know, uh, men having the ability to cry, you know, not obviously that's related to mental health. There's more awareness about that than ever. Mm. Um, you, I, I bring this up because you mentioned that on stage before, and sometimes I think you've been known to have a little tear in the eye. <laughs> on occasion yeah, um, yeah. Uh, can you speak a little bit about that what that means to you <laughs> well, you, have to, you have to take me there uh, <laughs> absolutely no um, I just I think that the, the most core element and important part of poetry is that we connect to the audience or we connect to the reader and um, and I think that every that there has to be a, 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 an essence of emotional content in in our writing, um, and so if that emotional content doesn't work for you as the writer, as you're writing it writing it down, or as you're reading it, how do you expect to connect or make it work for others? Kind of thing, uh, and so you have to bear yourself naked, um, but be self caring not self-destructive or leaving yourself in so much pain after you've expressed or, sh or written something. So be careful in that journey. But what I like the idea is that if through our words we can heal ourselves and then heal others, then that's the gift and the blessing that we are fortunate to find ourselves in. And so, yeah, when I write, I write from the heart. My first collection was about a difficult journey of watching my mom pass away and um, a friend of mine says, write it. You're a writer, write what is happening, be in that place. And fortunate, and with that, it became a part of my first collection kind of thing. So I write the tears, I write the sorrow, I write the loss, but I write the love. I equally write the anger, and as you know, that all three collections has anger. Um, but again, it's all encapsulated in love because I don't want to wipe out anybody or, or, or whatever. I just want to say, look, this is what's happening. But if we come together, we can make a different, different mm. world. Yeah. Thank you, Roy, so much for coming on the podcast. Um, it's been a real Thank joy you. and such a treat to enjoy your work and and have this conversation. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, Thank you for listening to Poetry to Your Ears. This podcast is published as a newsletter on Substack. All of our content is published for free, but if you would like to support our work, you can become a paid subscriber. This will help us support transcripts for the deaf and hard of hearing community and anyone who would benefit from reading the podcast alongside hearing it. You can also support us for free by rating the show on Spotify and Apple Podcasts or writing a review on Apple Podcasts. Share the show with your friends, fellow poets and poetry lovers. If you want to interact with us, you can follow us on at poetry to your ears on Instagram and at poetry to number two your ears on Twitter. Or you can also write a comment on Substack. If you're American and you're listening to us, send us a message. Half of our listeners are American. We'd love to hear from you. Until next time.